Welcome back to Movies on My Mind. I'm Rosie and the movie on my mind this week is Coraline, 2009, directed by Henry Selleck. And I'm so excited for this one because this is like one of my favourite movies and one of my favourite movies to completely analyse. So... That's what I'm going to be doing. Uh, and if you want to follow my Instagram, Movies on My Mind Pod, if you want to add to your library, write review, whatever, please do. And I've also got a TikTok as well, Movies on My Mind Pod on TikTok. I'm going to try and make some TikTok videos, but they're not really my thing. <laughs> I'm gonna try. I've already done two. I'm just gonna try. That's it. I'm gonna try. And also, apologies, my voice is, uh, again, not great because I had a cold and I've still not recovered. So that's why I'm gonna sound a little bit weird. Coraline is directed by Henry Selleck, based off of a book written by Neil Gaiman with the same name. I haven't read the book, but I've heard a lot about it and I probably should read the book. So basically my analysis will be based off of the film alone, so I'm not going to reference the book in amazing detail because I haven't read it. So yeah, so my analysis will be predominantly film. So I am warning, I'm gonna get very deep in this. I feel... (laughs) It's going to be a really deep one. (laughs) So if you don't want to go that far, I'm going to leave the worst till last, hopefully. So prepare to have your mind blown. Basically, it's going to get down the list. I'm just going to go further and further. Pretty crazy. I want to say it and I want to discuss it. So it's going to be in here. I feel like it's so obvious in the film that I can't not talk about it. And a specific man might be mentioned that might cause some people to shiver. Sigmund Freud will be mentioned. So honestly, trigger warning, he'll be at the end. Don't worry hopefully at the end if I don't already start talking about him but just a little quick a little warning for you okay so to start with we're gonna do a little summary Caroline is about a little girl who moves to a new place with her parents now her parents don't really have that much time for her they're busy doing their work and she's always trying to get their attention but they you know, they're too busy. So instead, Coraline decides to explore this house. It's like an apartment house. I'll discuss it later. And she finds a little door and she's like, what is this door? Finds the key for the door, opens the door. There is nothing there. Cool. She goes outside, get the scenery a little bit more. She meets this really weird kid called YB as well. And he annoys her. That is (laughs) what happens. And anyway, so she carries on. She's kind of given these like weird supernatural warnings to not go further, but she carries on going. And she opens this door. I think it's at night the first time. It's like a little portal. Who wouldn't? Who wouldn't? like that. So she goes through the portal. She finds herself in a mirrored reality in which everything is as she wants it. So her parents are giving her enough attention. They're giving her really good food to eat. They always have time for her. They always listen to her. The only catch is these parents seem to have like button eyes. Everyone seems to have button eyes in this world. And she's a bit like, hmm. Oh, and also before she went into this world, she was given a doll replica of herself with button eyes. But still, she goes into this world and goes, oh, cool. I have everything I want. That's all I care about. So she totally wasn't just given a voodoo doll. But she goes into this world and she kind of lives there and she really likes it and she kind of wants to live in this world and not return to her reality. However, things start to go a little bit south when this other mother, who is the predominant figure of this world, does everything for her and then goes, oh, Caroline, do you want to stay forever because we can sew buttons into your eyes and then you will be at ours forever? And she's like, um, let me think about that. So she goes back and she's a bit like, what the hell? That's weird. And things go from bad to worse when this other mother has taken her parents away from her. So she's like on her own and then she starts like freaking out. She has to go back into the perfect world in order to save her parents and everyone she knows. Basically all these illusions, which look so good before, turn out not to be true. They all basically crumble in front of her. She has to kind of save herself and her soul, because that is what the other mother wants from her, is her soul. And also there's some other children that were kind of kidnapped before her that have now completely like, their souls were taken, they don't know who they are, they're like ghost children. So she has to save the ghost children as well as herself and everybody else in this world. By the end of it, this other mother turns into this like massive creature, like spider-like person and tries to like get her and eat her. And she's like, no. (laughs) And so she tries to beat this other mother and then regains, she does beat the other mother and regains her parents at the end. And everything is fine. She escapes and all is well. There is a well as well. 
<laughs> but yeah, so it's kind of a bit crazy. There's lots of going on. There's a lot of characters as well to go through. I don't think I'm going to mention all of them because for me, for this reading, I will stick with Coraline. So if you don't already know it, watch it. It's a good film. It is a children's film. Now, this is interesting. It's like stop motion animation, like Fantastic Mr. Fox. I didn't want to do them one week after the other because I was like, there's too much animation for people. <laughs> I mean, you can never have too much, but that's why I did this one this week. So the thing about it is it's a kid's film and it was set up as a children's film. It's a PG, you know, it's animation. And when I remember when it came out and I was like, oh my god, I need to see this. I don't know what it was. I saw the trailer and I was like, I need to see this. So I had the th- like the 3D DVD because it came out in 3D. Didn't watch it in 3D, but I have the DVD with the 3D version of it. <laughs> uh, and I watched it when I was a kid and I loved it. Now, a lot of kids don't like it because it is quite crazy and it's very dark. But as of, I don't know what was wrong with me, but I enjoyed it and... I don't think I really saw the point of it properly, which is, again, that is a little bit questionable, but we'll discuss my old self. <laughs> but it is, again, it's kind of, it's one of those kind of like, oh, really, it's like folklore-esque, you know, like the originals, like the Grimm brothers and things like that. Uh, it's like really dark. It is kind of marketed towards children, but the meaning of it and the analysis of these stories don't really they're not for children you know so this is a very much similar thing and I think it was the same for Neil Gaiman who wrote the book he wrote this book and he wanted to make it obviously about kids for kids but there's a lot of elements of the story that aren't they're not aimed at children they have more like adult deeper kind of psychological things very psychological that's what I like about these like fairy tales and stuff is that Although on the surface they look kids' stories, there's loads of psychological things that you can pick out from them that actually make them not for kids at all. So I wanted to start with just the setting, kind of setting the scene for it. Now this, I love like the whole aesthetic of this film as well. The whole production, everything about it just worked for me to encapsulate this story. For this story to make sense, you have to make sure that the world around it is really well placed and really well set up because otherwise these whole like malevolent bad things that are supposed to be good things, that whole thing will just be, the illusion won't work, but it does work really well. Now, basically this film is set in a place in Oregon, in America. The book is actually set in Britain, I think. We're looking at the film. So this kind of region has like forest mountains in the background and it's quite like, the climate isn't, it's not really warm, it's kind of like here, cloudy, changeable weather. When we get to Coraline's house, it's pink and it's got like the woods in the background and it's like a steep incline so it's like a kind of mountainous region and I really love that whole setup because or straight away you get the impression that from the background of this the mountains the forests this is going to be quite creepy it's quite isolated gothic is the word that comes to mind but the thing is you have that gothic you know backdrop that kind of a bit creepy what's in the woods kind of thing and then you have this pink house like, it's called The Pink Apartments. And I really like that they did this in the film, is that they had that setting behind it of being quite, like, feral. And then you have this, like, just this pink house. This massive pink house. And it's just like, well, what's going to happen here? Because we've got, like, a bit of a creepy backdrop with a pink house. You know, what could go wrong with a pink house? Come on. So I really like that. I like how it kind of comes across as non-threatening when the backdrop of it and the setting of it and the isolated region of it really does give horror. So they come into the house and the house itself isn't anything special. It's kind of empty and it's not... I like how they didn't over-creepify the house. Like they could have made it really creepy and scary. But really when you get inside, it's a bit weird on the outside. But when you get in, it's pretty mundane. You're just empty, dusty, bland. Well, Coraline really gets the impression walking around, absolutely nothing's happened here. Again, these are really good moments where we kind of, as a viewer, we're with Coraline and we have to be with Coraline for this story to work. And we kind of see her explore and she's just bored. And I mean, fair play. I was definitely Coraline as a kid. Like, I think that's why I like this film so much because I just... I was her. Don't know what that says about me. I really projected myself onto this film for no reason. So again, this whole story and this whole journey that happens all about seeing beyond appearances and I think that that makes it quite an important story in terms of like coming of age and that kind of thing. Coraline is a child yet she learns so many lessons through this whole experience 
And one of them is being able to see beyond appearances. Because we get, she gets to the house and she's like, oh my god, what is this place? This is scum. Like, she's going around being like, I'm so bored and all this stuff. And she doesn't ever give anything a chance. There's also when she meets YB who is like, I have no words to describe. He's so weird. He's got like these goggles that are like a skull. And then he like eats slugs, stuff like that. Just a little bit strange. <laughs> but Corine always says, oh, he's so annoying. He annoys me so much. And yet when they're with each other she's actually having fun for the first time and but she goes back and goes oh he's so annoying he's so annoying like she never gives him a chance she never gives anything a chance in this kind of world everything's weird everything is strange and yeah that just shows how she can't see beyond initial appearances and initial impressions so she needs to learn to be able to go further and just be like you know what is real here and what isn't real and then we're gonna move on to another point here is the folklore stuff as well. So there's kind of like exploring worlds links 100% to Alice in Wonderland by Lewis Carroll. And Alice in Wonderland has a cat. This has a cat too. <laughs> the cat is kind of like the guide, very much Cheshire cat vibes. And yeah, Alice in Wonderland, Wonderland seems so amazing when you first get there, but it's only after you've been there for a while that, you know, it's not everything as it seems and I think that that's a massive like lesson for kids and people as a whole to not take everything from initial appearances and it's it's kind of an ageless thing that everything we see isn't exactly the truth and definitely that story links to Coraline in that same way but I'd say Coraline is on the same plane but different a little bit off center it is I think in some ways Wonderland is more sinister but in other ways Coraline's world is as well because it's real it's got the reality behind it and it's set in this kind of day and age as well Coraline thinks that she her parents are annoying she doesn't love her parents she gets really annoyed with them and i can see how she gets annoyed with them and everything but at the end she's kind of she has to learn to be like this is my reality now and i've got to be grateful for it because there's there's powers out there that could stop me from having this and you know she learns to be grateful i don't think her parents now it's a really big argument a lot of people say a lot of things with this but like do people think question is do you think that Coraline's parents are neglecting her and I think we are made to believe yes at the start definitely actually no all the way through because that is what Coraline believes and it works so well that we as a viewer see that as fact because we are seeing it we're seeing this world through Coraline's eyes so yeah she thinks they're neglecting her cool they are but when you kind of objectively go out of it in some ways yes Coraline kind of needed to be seen and heard a little bit more but when you think of the context of the whole situation there's little details that kind of give you clues but it's a new house move we're talking realistic here you know I think her mum was in like a car accident so she has like a neck race you know and they're trying to finish this thing for work in order for them to kind of have money and that's a very realistic situation and it makes sense that Coraline would think that but we don't know whether that is like forever she's always thought that or she's all of a sudden thinking it now you know we come in at a time we come into the story at a time where it appears that way again it's this thing appearance and reality it's like being able to be like is this the truth by what I'm seeing or is this just a fraction of the truth and the truth is a larger picture with many different colours and I think that that's definitely the case especially with the whole themes of this whole film is being able to distinguish truth from you know what I've just seen now because they're two different things what you see right now won't ever be the whole truth so I think that's definitely what you could say for Caroline's parents and their relationship with her at the time looks a little bit dodgy but overall you know if we think that they actually do appreciate her and care about her in the long run and in the in her whole life then no issues there. Next up I'm going to talk about the constructed reality that the other mother also known as the Beldum creates in her illusion for Coraline. So basically the Beldum is the other mother and the beldam is it's another word for like they refer to her as that uh, as it kind of get, goes further and further but the beldam is an old woman witch crone basically like a witch so not a positive word to be associated with 
so it's kind of like makes it more into like a mythical kind of creature. The Beldum constructs the portal, so this other reality, for Coraline and the Beldum goes, well what does Coraline need right now? What can I do to manipulate her? And she basically throws everything right back at her. She can spy on her because I think that it was the doll that YB gave Coraline with the button eyes as kind of like that was kind of the spying device. But also I think the other mother, like the Beldum could control a lot of the animals in the reality as well because the cat also says that he goes from that reality to the other one and he can switch so animals seem to be able to pass between the two fields and they can be used to kind of give information i don't know <laughs> something like that so anyway the other mother decides to construct a reality for Coraline. now this reality is really warm and bright the colors when she comes like they are so kind of colorful and beautiful and they are completely in contrast to the colors of her reality now i've seen this kind of thing i've discussed this kind of thing in when i did the little women episode with the past and the present with the past being really colorful and nicely looked on whereas the present is kind of dark and a bit dull and it's kind of the same thing but Coraline's reality in her present is that dullness, whereas this other world and this other reality, the, the kind of like what if, which is kind of the state that Coraline lives in, what if is then really colourful, everything she's ever wanted. And it's kind of nice to think that Coraline still, obviously if she's thinking that, still believes that she's worthy of that thing. Because obviously, I'm not saying, if, if Coraline was a neglected child all the way through her life, I don't think she would have believed that she could be capable of this kind of world. So in that way, seeing those bright colours, seeing all that goodness and that amazing stuff, a Coraline that was neglected all the way through her life wouldn't react in the way that the Coraline does in the film. Because she is loved, because she is supported, she's well fed, <laughs> well, questionable food choices, but you know, she's well fed, she's looked after, she's healthy, of course she's going to be thinking of the extra stuff that she can have and the potential of herself, whereas if she was, you know, really neglected and, you know, maybe abused child, then that child wouldn't have the same reaction that Coraline did and I wouldn't have probably fell for it in, a, in, in the same way, but Coraline does fall for it pretty, pretty hard and she goes in and it's kind of like an escapism to her reality. Her reality right now, she's a bit tired of it. It's not going her way. She's annoyed. So when she goes into this created reality just for her, it's like a dream come true. And, you know, everything is perfect. Everything is just so much more alive. Like the toys are alive. Everything's dancing for her. Everyone's singing songs about her. Everyone is obsessed with her. She's just really like loving it. And as well, she kind of projects how her parents are treating her at the time to, you know, this created reality that the other mother creates which is parents loving her parents worshipping her but again they're just they are creations of the beldum and we get that not real with the eyes i'm gonna go on to talk about that later but the button eyes and things like that just kind of make this doll like and as if you're in like a, a dollhouse it's not real you can create the story that you want to create you have control that is the beldum in this situation and everyone is your little toy and Coraline is included in that. She is controlled to appreciate this environment. And well, who wouldn't? Who wouldn't? That's the thing. And the question is, how would you react if that happened to you? Would, <laughs> would you, even now, like not as a kid, would you go into that world? Everything's created just for you. Or would you be like, oh yeah, sure. <laughs> or, you know, would you be a bit more sceptical? And I think that in a way, it's not a bad thing that Coraline wasn't, you know, sceptical about it. Because well, how would she know? You know, how would she know that this isn't real? She was warned, to be honest, though. But, you know, she was so kind of wanting this adventure, so wanting this escape. She was so desperate for it that she kind of manifested it all for herself. Which, you know, she's going to think about that next time. But yeah, so that is kind of like the construction. And then as well, I'm just going to talk about um, colours. So Coraline is blue. She's got a lot of blue around her, suggesting sadness. But current sadness, I'm not saying the sadness is permanent. Although she does have blue hair. So maybe it shows that she's more pessimistic or dramatic. <laughs> Either or. But so I'm just going to talk about the use of colour. The other mother is, she doesn't really have anything. She's kind of within this perfect world. And then as she kind of changes and transforms into this kind of monstrous figure, the colour green comes up 
way more than it did before. Before it was kind of like, it was dull green, it wasn't bright green, and then we have loads of blue. Blue is a massive, massive thing in this, I suppose as well. The blue refers to kind of the night time, and this reality in which, that's another point, but, you know, we have a lot of blue in that kind of thing. The green comes through when this kind of duality gets more prominent in the story. So Caroline's realising that this mother isn't exactly who she says she is, and this is kind of all like a bit of a a monstrous and deceptive that's when we get the color green and it kind of comes up and then it becomes the beldam's color as being kind of like her she has like a weird room and Coraline comes into it and it's like green light just kind of given a bit of yeah color through with the green so yeah the green is kind of prevalent when we know that there's a dual duality to this world but it's never it doesn't come across straight away and that's interesting because Coraline doesn't see it straight away and we are with Coraline you know it's not our fault we are along the journey with her and it shows that she didn't really no she didn't really think in that way she didn't think in that bind like there are two different ways of being able to go well what's underneath there she was very much seeing what she was she was believing what she was seeing that's the word <laughs> so yeah and then also I wanted to talk about the night in the reality as well the other mother's world is always at night time. It's never in the day, always at night, which suggests, again, that it's an escape because night's when you're supposed to be sleeping. Okay, so that also brings me to another thing as well. But this night time could refer to kind of dreamlike stuff. Now, I will get onto the dreamlike stuff at the end, but as well, there's the moon. Now, the moon is a symbol synonymous with um, femininity and changeable emotions and kind of like yeah, femininity, and the other mother is the beldam, is the creator of this world, so it makes complete sense that at night time, this is when her world's going to happen, because that moon, and the changing moon as well, suggests <laughs> that the beldam is controlling this reality, and it was there from the beginning, and the moon, because the moon does change, it's not always full moon, it's sometimes it's like a bit taken out of it each time, to me, I kind of see that as her changing, and her changing her tactics in order to manipulate Coraline. But also, there's this theory as well that the Beldam needs to eat children to stay alive and to maintain her powers. So the changing moon suggests, obviously, that her stomach becoming empty and her powers waning away, just like the moon. There you go, that's the constructed reality. Okay, so now we're going to start getting a little bit deeper. So, <laughs> I don't know where I'm going to go with this. <laughs> I apologise in advance, as I always do. But the next point I've got here is on the monstrous feminine and femininity. So, we're going to talk about the other mother, the Beldum, as the main event here. So, just for context, The Monstrous Feminine is a book written by Barbara Creed about the interpretation of horror films in which women are seen as victims uh, and that kind of thing but also how women can be seen as monstrous and villains and when a feminine character is fabricated as a monstrous it's normally done through an association to the female reproductive body or mothering tasks so kind of you know this whole mother thing and also kind of a sexuality element as well potentially um, so, yeah, she talks about male monsters are just referred to as monsters, but then we have a female monster, which would suggest rather not its own thing, but a reversal of a male monster to a female one. So it's the same, same traits, same characteristic, but a female version. And then we have the monstrous feminine, which is different again, and the monstrous feminine is all about this reproductive and mothering relation there you go that's it so i'm going to be talking about that so <laughs> the monstrous feminine we can see a hundred percent in the other mother in its name the other mother it is absolutely no coincidence that the villain of this story takes form as Caroline's mother and a version of her mother now without getting well i'm gonna get really deep here so i'm gonna think about what i'm gonna say why is the other mother a monstrous feminine because for one she's a feminine character she comes across as feminine and she's also playing the role of a very important feminine figure in Coraline's life her mother 
And that is a really interesting way in which that the Beldum decides to manipulate Coraline because she could have been her father, for example. And this is very goes quite psychologically deep in the fact that Coraline's relationship with her mother, which is ultimately the most damaging to her or the most thing she's concerned about. And I mean, yes, because she's a child and her mother will be a really big figure in her life. As well as that, Coraline will look up to and look to her mother in terms of thinking about a projection of herself, interestingly, maybe. So in that way, the other mother, she will always, if anything wrong, if anything negative happens about Coraline's mother, it will be in somewhat psychologically projected from Coraline. So she will always be annoyed with her. And I think that that's a really easy thing to manipulate someone with, is no matter what, Coraline will always be annoyed in some way with her mother psychologically, because in terms of gender and in terms of life, they are the most closely linked. So if you think of being the other mother, and the Beldum and thinking about manipulating this child. Psychologically, yes, I think that being her mother and kind of taking on that role as her mother is a good way to manipulate a child. And and you kind of have more room for error because in some ways there will always be this competition. Oh no, we're getting Oedipal now. But there will always be this kind of dislike, this kind of contrast between them, this, this, this tension between them. There will always be that. And with the other mother being a version of that okay that was not necessary okay i should have written this down but i didn't so i'm now gonna have so much fun editing it yeah so the other mother i'm gonna call her the beldum because i keep talking about mothers so the beldum takes on other monstrous feminine traits in the way that she is Coraline's mother and she performs mothering roles for her so she cooks and she kind of is the primary caregiver. Coraline's idea of a perfect family is incredibly, like, nuclear and, like, well, it's not because she's the only child, but, like, it's incredibly outdated in the fact that she kind of... She wants this love from her mother. She wants this femininity given to her. And I think that her mum isn't being very feminine in reality because she's kind of taking on this more masculine role in terms of, I need to do my work, Coraline. Your father is cooking you know? So that's really interesting because Coraline's dream is for that role to be reversed in that moment. And I think maybe it's not because that her mother is taking on this masculine role. I think in terms of the family as a whole, there is this kind of like lack of femininity in terms of energy, not necessarily saying it's a bad thing that her mother's being like, oh, your father will cook or I'm busy at my work. No, that's fine. That's totally fine. But there's kind of this nurturing energy that's missing from that and that's more kind of seen with feminine figures. So her father, Colin does not expect her father to have that energy. And this is where it gets a little bit crazy in terms of cultural significance and things like that and cultural ideas. But she doesn't ever expect that energy from her father because he's a man, which is, again, we're getting crazy. But she never expects that energy from her father, but yet she kind of expects it as a bare minimum from her mother, when her mother might not necessarily be a feminine person, if that makes sense. Femininity is always, as well, to do with, like, creation and life, and the other mother does bring those things to the table. In fact, that this whole world is created by her. So in some ways, this Beldum, although she's a witch, although she's kind of this weird creature she has this feminine energy that she brings to Coraline and she allows Coraline to share but her own mother doesn't do that and that's why that's what Coraline's after she's after this creation she's after this nurturing energy this growth she wants growth she wants this kind of thing which is why she goes on this adventure and why she doesn't back down from it because she's so desperate for this kind of creation and this, what's the word, she wants to grow. I think it's kind of this psychological desire as well to change. And she's just moved to a new place, right? So psychologically, she's waiting for a change, but there isn't one. And the Beldum perfectly encapsulates the change that Coraline needs, although it's destructive. Now that was very deep. Don't know where that came from. I wasn't planning on saying that, but it's here. (laughs) God, I'm gonna have so much fun editing this. But yeah. So we can say that the other mother does 
exhibit feminine qualities and feminine energy in terms of like creation and nurture, energy that Coraline is lacking from her life. As well, Coraline starts off, this whole thing is set in winter, in like autumn winter, so it's cold. The actual environment in terms of nature is dead you know her parents are gardeners yes so in the summer they're probably in their element maybe i don't know but in the winter they won't be because everything is dead what's interesting about the other mother's world the beldam's world for Coraline, is that there's abundance everywhere it's literally full of flowers and life and nature and stuff it's literally full of it and it does, again, there's a big feminine kind of theme to that, of it being creation and gifts, <laughs> just things like that, energy that you can give. That's why Coraline will be wanting that, because she's in her seasonal depression. Everyone gets much, well, a lot of people suffer with seasonal depression and getting the winter months come in, there's a lack of sunlight. Physically, there is a lack, and again, it's absolutely no coincidence that that is the time in which the beldam decides let's take this kid there is no better time than winter because Coraline will be searching for that creation and will be searching for the new life that isn't there yet she's gotta wait again i think again this is a film about waiting as well because in this constructed reality that the beldam gives Coraline, she has everything right now like everything she's ever wanted she can have right now she has three choices of drink she can choose whatever she wants right now like everything is done for her right now but in the real world unfortunately you can't do that you can't just go i want that now (laughs) because sometimes it's just not possible again that's the escape that Coraline wants we're talking about the feminine energy and we're talking about it turning monstrous as well and that's really important because at the start the beldrum perfectly encapsulates a feminine figure that Coraline needs in her life and by the end of it is completely distorted and turned monstrous. She turns into an overbearing mother in terms of she's like I need to love you, I need to have you and she kind of chases after her like very quite violently. It becomes an extreme of that and that's quite jarring for people to watch and especially kids to watch man and it definitely introduces the idea of the monstrous feminine here because this mothering quality that's seen as so lovely at the start is completely distorted and when it is distorted and changed and horrified people don't like it and that is again the monstrous feminine at work here so yeah and we see her be manipulative at the end we see her kind of gain these more masculine qualities at the end in terms of her being manipulative and playing games with her and being quite violent as well and it's weird because it's such a contrast and a contrast of energies as well that yeah people don't like that people don't like when they see this lovely mother figure turn into a horrible person um it's very scary and that's why it's used in a lot of horror things and also in Coraline so I'm really sorry for the kids that got traumatized by that because that is traumatizing (laughs) because that's saying that your lovely mother could be a monster inside which is really interesting as well because that's usually a man man's job that's usually a male figure but here it is female which is really interesting although it does take use the character as a mother interesting i don't know what i'm gonna say anymore on that maybe maybe not has she stopped i don't know okay any more on that I also have a li- another little point, don't know how big this is, but as a female person watching Coraline as well, I do like it because it has predominant, well, the main protagonist is a girl. I think that's why I like this so much as a kid and also the main villain is too. Like, where else does that happen? So I think I did connect with it because for such a long time these kind of adventure stories are seen, the protagonist is seen as a boy. A lot of nursery rhymes and a lot of nursery rhymes, in other words, fairy tales. A lot of fairy tales the protagonist is a, is a, is a boy and even if it is a girl kind of they get married at the end or it's kind of a journey of marriage to do with men or something or escape I don't I don't know but with Coraline the journey is very different and the journey is more cerebral in being able to differentiate between emotion and intellect 
in a balanced way because yeah Caroline so far at the start is like oh my god he you know she's very dismissive of everything and you wouldn't say that that was necessarily a female kind of trait in terms of being able to go oh no no why would I do that <laughs> that kind of thing but she's not gullible and it's it's a strange one because I know she falls for the other mother but she's not a gullible kid she's actually quite smart and that's what I really like about Coraline as a character she does realize what she needs to do to save herself and she does save herself and others at the end she gets her hero moment at the end and I think for me that was the as a kid maybe that kind of hero the hero arc being Coraline was a reason why I like this film. I, I didn't really connect as much with the whole lovely mother, angry mother, scary mother thing. I, it was more that Coraline ended up saving the day. You know, she was the hero in the story, although she did fall for it at the beginning. And I think that it's a kind of a universal way, a universal story in the fact that everyone goes through that. Everyone goes through that thing. And I think that that makes it kind of genderless in that way because... The I ever you know the ideas of this are, you know they don't need gender, they they are for everyone, if that makes sense. But I think that's why it had the appeal for me as a kid though was, you know, this is a girl doing this and she's like you, she's annoying. <laughs> so I think that was what it was for me. It was that saving the day kind of thing. Honestly, what glory hunter. Oh yeah, my other point that I was gonna say but I didn't say. God. Basically, when I I like to think, you know, basically when Coraline goes into this other world, right? She goes and sees a show that's put on by the creations of this world, and a lot of the things in the show refer to the deception of the Beldum, and she's disguising it as this theatre show. And what I really liked about it is basically these two old women who live in the basement below, and they are washed-up actresses, and you know they love a bit of glory and they love a bit of attention. And they put on this show in the other world, so it's constructed by the Beldum for Coraline. And she watches it, and it's a very strange show. But this is where the points come in. So at the beginning, there's like one of the old ladies is as a mermaid, and she is a siren. Now, siren is in the siren in Greek mythology is all about like a, a beautiful woman, a beautiful kind of appearance of a woman that tempts a man to manipulate him and take him to his death. Uh, and that is seen as kind of like an attractive woman. There's that ounce of sexuality added in there as well and that is what this old woman kind of is in this play in like this little like opera thing they do I, I don't know but anyway she's the siren now the other mother is the siren in in the story because she tempts Coraline to what is supposed to be her death um but what happens in this is I think it all goes to it all goes to shit basically because everything comes falling down and stuff so it does fail they don't get to the end of it but the siren is Coraline's other mother anyway and then there's another bit where the old lady's like swinging on high ropes <laughs> no they're doing like acrobatics and stuff and then they like zip off their fat suits and there's like thin women inside and i think that's a really interesting note on femininity because obviously we see with the beldum we see you know positive femininity but we also see this monstrous femininity that people don't like you know it scares people and it is an interesting thing because they just zip off and I'm not saying I'm not being horrible to these to these women but they're not attractive women they're old women and they're trying to behave in a way that young women behave and society doesn't really like that and then in this kind of skit they like zip off their fat suits and they transform into these young women that becomes a much more pleasant experience for someone to watch and I was like that's interesting I don't really know where this point's going, but I think that that shows the binary between this good femininity, but also this bad, horrible femininity that people reject. So the old women originally are rejected, whereas these thin women inside are not. They are, everything is right in the world with them, if that makes sense. So that was an interesting one. And I think, again, this film does touch a lot on like femininity and stuff in the way that Coraline might see herself after this experience and also her relation with her mother and her other mother and them being two different things but under the same sphere so I think it's it's I don't know where I'm going but that was something I noticed and I, I wrote about and I think Coraline is her character is at an age where you know that's going to be something that is going to concern her in terms of how does she want to project herself onto the world 
because there are different ways for for women to project themselves and there are different reactions from society to each one. I kind of get that vibe from here. So um, I'm gonna now move on to the final section. So the moment that we've all been waiting for. Sigmund Freud is coming to Coraline. So the Freud points. Now they get a bit crazy. Summary of the man. So he was big into psychoanalysis when he lived like 1800s vibes. So a long time ago and he was one of the, he's one of the most famous people to write theories on psychoanalysis and dreams and things like that. So he was kind of like a bit like a weird therapist guy who would write down people's dreams and people's thoughts and kind of interpret them into kind of more interesting, very, very primal ways of thinking. Now he has a lot of famous ones, obviously you've got like the Oedipal complex, which he talks about like when kids are born, they are going to, if they have two parental figures, father and mother, then the kids will project themselves onto each one and like the daughter will be jealous of the father and want to get with the father and then the son will be jealous of the mother and want to get with the mother, that kind of thing. So it's pretty crazy but you see it a lot in kind of literature and stuff like that so it's interesting and I like to kind of put it in there as curveballs sometimes different ways of looking at things and he has a lot of famous kind of symbols and what they mean but I will kind of explore them as we get to that so to start with okay I'm going to talk about sand which is so random basically all of the creations that the Beldum creates in the reality are full of sand. So when they kind of are deconstructed at the end of the film, like mice turning to rats, turning to sand. So in that way, the other mother has created this world based around sand. And that's really important. I, I keep saying sound, it's sand, honestly. So the sand is really important. Why is the sand really important? Because Neil Gaiman, I don't know whether this is in the book, which would be kind of annoying if it's not. But Neil Gaiman wrote the comic books, The Sandman. Okay, so we have that link there. So The Sandman, what is The Sandman? So Neil Gaiman didn't make up, he didn't invent The Sandman. It's an old story that people probably heard of before. And basically it goes like this. So apparently it comes from when you wake up in the morning, people have like, you get crusty stuff in your eye and it's called Riam or something. Don't know why that's how you say it. And apparently this crusty stuff would, your parents would say, would say to the kids, it's sand from the Sandman who came to visit you when you were asleep. Now the Sandman wasn't originally someone who was kind of dangerous or anything, but kind of stories escalated. And apparently at some point, if you're awake when the Sandman comes, he just collects eyeballs and feeds them to his kids. So (laughs) a little bit crazy, a little bit crazy there, but that's really important for this story. Now, the sand can is all about, you know, creation, manifestation, and then you dreams, because the Sandman is the dream man, and he has this real relation to dreams and when you're asleep. So that is where I wanted to kind of link the Sandman to Coraline in terms of the created world, the constructed reality has sand in it, which relates to dreams, and the Sandman. Okay, now, to get further with the Sandman, he has this kind of, the Sandman has an obsession with eyes. Interesting. Eyes, I hear you say. Why? Why is that weird? Okay, which, as many points I can go down. Right, which one am I going to go down first? It's like a journey in my mind. I'm driving. I don't know where I'm going to end up. The sand relates to the eyes, because it's in your eyes, isn't it? So, okay, we'll bring Freud in. We'll bring Freud in. So, Freud says that In terms of children, now this is a children's story and the Sandman is a children's story. Well, it's not really for kids. It's pretty dark, but it it was talked to for kids, whatever. Anyway, so the Sandman, he loves a bit of eyes, doesn't he? And eyes, in Freud's mind, eyes refer to, in children, the fear of getting taken away is the fear of being castrated. Okay, now Freud talks a lot about fear of castration in his works and that being the predominant fear for men. Um, I don't think it works similarly for women. I'm not quite sure. It's a bit different, but 
and then for kids because they don't kind of have this apparently again this is freud but because they don't have this kind of like sexuality necessarily as kids their fear of castration is fear of losing their eyes which becomes the deepest fear that you can have in a have as a child and everyone's born with this apparently so you know the sandman relates to that fear now this links to Caroline as well because Caroline is going to have her eyes taken out and instead have buttons sewn onto her eyes so in that way it relates to Freud in terms of having you know your eyes taken out is a massive fear in a kid because it's the fear of castration basically like your whole purpose of life is just being taken away from you so that links to Freud okay so now with the eyes as well I'm gonna talk about the uncanny so Freud wrote about the uncanny which is kind of like a word that means something that's I never really know how to explain it but it's like something being dead but something being alive at the same time so something being nice but something being sinister at the same time something something having this weird morbid undertone but coming across as kind of nice so it's this this contrast between the two and yeah he writes about the uncanny now that is precisely what happens in Coraline visually because Coraline's other world her constructed reality has people with button eyes so everyone's nice and normal but they have button eyes So we can accept it as a viewer because, oh, it's nice, but it's the uncanny because they have buttons as eyes, which means that they're not alive. They can't possibly be properly alive if they have buttons for eyes, you know, or they can't see or something. But it's, you know, it's kind of like, as for kids as well, in terms of eyes, it means, you know, it's the gateway to your soul, apparently. So for kids, eyes are like your soul. And the fact that these characters don't have them in the constricted reality is just very weird and definitely uncanny as well in terms of for example in Caroline's room in the other reality in the constricted one she her toys are like moving and things like that so that is uncanny because the toys aren't supposed to move but yet they are so yeah that is Freud's uncanny and the other mother does use that very well in order to get Coraline and I think that's the thing as well with us as a viewer we don't automatically see it necessarily straight away because we're so kind of blinded by this beauty and this happiness in this world yet it has incredibly sinister undertones so that is Freud and as well the Sandman in terms of eyeballs as well the Sandman collects eyeballs in his sack so no wonder kids are freaking afraid of him honestly no wonder no wonder okay as well i'm gonna go on to talk about insects now (laughs) this is so random so freud is nearly done but so you can read a lot of stuff in freud in terms of in freudian ways when you have surrealism maybe like the art movement where everything doesn't make any sense at all but it does because if you look closely and you analyze it as if you're Sigmund Freud then it does which is very strange but it's all about dreams and it's all about the weird stuff that we can't explain again you can also talk about this reality that Coraline goes into as being kind of dreamlike as well so that kind of relates to her psyche and how she psychologically views the world Okay, next up, insects. So the other mother, the Beldum, is like this insect creature. She turns into like this spider. And we also have loads of kind of insects everywhere as well. Like we have them, when Coraline comes into her house, her new house, she goes to the bathroom and there's these like cockroaches on the wall and she just jots them all out with her hand. Like it's kind of weird, but she does that. And it does obviously link to horror. And again, this links to horror as well because, no, I'm not saying, insects are kind of like, In terms of psychologically, they are like disease, infestation, being taken over, powerlessness, all of that stuff. And as well, the other mother, the Beldum being a spider, does link to a lot of people in general psychologically have that fear of like spiders and stuff like that. And that speaks very psychologically to Coraline in terms of her fear might still be spiders because she's not very old and maybe she hasn't conquered that fear yet and the other mother it comes across as a spider anyway in terms of surrealism in cinema i've 
seen some of these films by like Bunuel and Salvador Dali, those guys. Very surrealist. A lot of insects in that. And yeah, it's all about disease, overtaking control, that kind of thing, like ugh, icky stuff. And we have insects in here as well. I don't think that really links crazily to anything. But again, it's this fear. It's this underlying fear that it's here all the time. We can't see it, but it's here. It's kind of like the mice turning into rats. You know, we know they're rats. Ooh, oh no, oh no, disease, disease. It's this underlying fear that is just always there, but you just can't see it, unless you choose to. My other point was, so at the end, when the Belgums turn into this massive, like, spider-like creature, the hand comes, her hand comes off when Caroline shuts the door. That's Freud. Freud can answer that for you. So as well as eyes being castration for kids and people, I think, generally, the hand, having a hand chopped off is also the same thing. Now, very interesting, but Caroline does chop off this hand um, and she's very disgusted and weirded by it. And again, that talks to how, you know, that's like castration. They go, they, I will cite to the dismembered hands, castration, but also talking about the losing eyes totally yeah didn't link this okay losing eyes is exactly what happens in oedipus when he finds out that he did he like marry his mother or something and then he gouges his own eyes out same thing so this eye link with castration is the oedipal complex and it's something that children it's kind of an uncanny thing because the children are, in some ways, you could say psychologically attracted to that idea, but also at the same time completely repulsed by it. Crazy, I know. And that is from all of this kind of stuff. Um, a man did an article, a man called David Rudd, I don't know why I'm citing this, but he did an article called An Eye for an Eye based on Coraline, based on a book. I don't know whether it was necessarily... It was mainly on the book rather than the film, but it's called Neil Gaiman's Coraline and Questions of Identity. And again... These psychological things that I'm talking about, yeah, they're funny and silly, but they are very important in terms of kind of putting together a child's identity in terms of them growing up and who they turn into. So these psychological kind of like pockets we get into this child's mind really do speak to who this kid will become when they're older. So I think I've exhausted... Caroline. I'm so sorry. Oh, another thing, just randomly. At the end, the garden is restored and Caroline makes them plant loads of tulips. Tulips mean perfect and deep love, so it shows that her love for her parents is renewed by the end. Yay, happy. That's a nice way to end it, isn't it? Okay, so I don't know why I said everything, but that is my exhaustion of Caroline. So if you liked it, and if you're still here, thank you well done <laughs> i've done it now. please add this to your library write a review because i don't have any follow me on instagram and tiktok there you go hope you enjoyed and i'll be here next time with something else probably more halloween based because you know what it's nearly october <laughs> <laughs>